Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you, please find your way to the book of Exodus, the 14th chapter. Exodus chapter 14. In our journey, as you're finding your way there through Exodus, we have come to the major scene in the history of God's people where they are backed against the sea and Pharaoh's army is pursuing them to recapture them and return them to slavery. We have been focusing on God being one who delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. He has delivered and redeemed them And now they find themselves trapped against the sea with Pharaoh's army coming after them to undeliver and unredeem them back into bondage in Egypt. We have considered all along how the people of Israel in bondage and delivered and going to the promised land is a picture of the Christian, the people of God, delivered out of sin and bondage traveling, this life is called a pilgrimage, traveling in this life to a promised land led by a greater Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you are not sure if you have been delivered from the bondage of sin, you would first be saying, I don't know if that's ever happened to me. That would be a question in your mind. I'm not sure I've ever been delivered from the bondage of sin. I'm not even sure what the bondage of sin is. I would love to have more conversation with you, further conversation with you. There is a Savior who delivers. We've been singing about it all morning. Israel saw God's power through great acts of judgment on Pharaoh and on Egypt as he delivered them plague after plague, coming in judgment on Pharaoh for not obeying God and for not letting the people of Israel go. They have seen that, but now on the shore of the Red Sea, after all they have witnessed, we get a glimpse of how quickly the people of God forget God. It happens very quickly. Would you read with me? We're just going to be in four short verses. I read the whole chapter last week. This morning I'm not going to do that. We're going to be in four short verses this morning. Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today You shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you in this time to learn from your word. 
I thank you, Father, for time studying and preparing this word to speak this morning, but I recognize my inability to communicate anything of your truth and your word to this gathered people without the help of you, God, the Holy Spirit. Use me, speak to me as you speak through me. Help us to learn from your word. Father, this morning I lift up my friend Michael and his church at Mayfair, and I pray you'd be with them today as the word goes forward. I pray, Father, that as the preaching of your word happens in that place, that you would grab hearts and souls for your kingdom. Father, as faithful men around the world proclaim your word today, may you reap a harvest of souls and gather into your kingdom those you have loved from before the foundation of the world. Father, in this place, as your word is taught and heard and received by those here gathered, Father, I pray that it would humble sinners to repentance and salvation. Father, I pray that you would humble Christians to repentance. God, I pray that holiness would be promoted among your people, that we would live the life that you have given us through Jesus. And I pray that Christ the Savior would be exalted as we read and learn and study together. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I titled the sermon, not from the text, as I like to do. I titled the sermon, Focused, Not Fearful. I have noted in Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 14, I have noted four characteristics of weak and vulnerable people who see a strong enemy coming and forget the Lord. Where did you get weak and vulnerable from, Pastor? I got it from Pharaoh saying, look, they're wandering in the wilderness and it has shut them in. They came out prepared for war, but they are now afraid of Pharaoh's army coming at them. I've noted four characteristics of weak and vulnerable people who see a strong enemy coming and forget the Lord. Those characteristics are going to be examined in greater detail over coming weeks. Today we're dealing with one. People who forget the Lord become fearful and live in fear. People who forget the Lord become fearful. The other uh, characteristics that we're going to see, fearful, lamenting, thankless, and despairing. There's all four of them. There's your next several weeks in the book of Exodus. Fearful, lamenting, thankless, and despairing. However, we're going to follow up each of those characteristics of those who forget the Lord with characteristics of how a vulnerable and weak people remember the Lord. If the people of God forget God and live in fear, what is, the, what is the antidote? What is the help? What is the remedy? And the remedy is to focus on the Lord. The people of God are to, live, are to live focused, not fearful. So we will look at fearful, lamenting, thankless, and despairing, and we will look at the remedy to those, focus, longing, thankfulness, and dependence. The people of God are to live focused, not fearful. Last week, I proposed two key thoughts that I want to keep out in front of us from chapter 14. One, verse 4, verse 17, and verse 18, God says, I will get glory over. I will get glory over, verse 4, verse 17, I will get glory over, verse 18, when I have gotten glory over. God will get glory over and against his enemies. The second thought that is kind of key through this whole chapter is this. Israel will see the enemy coming for them, the enemy's defeat, and the power of God over the enemy. I highlight these thoughts because they are also things that the people of God will see. You and I 
right now in our lives today. We will see God get glory over his enemy and ours. We will see the enemy coming for us. We will see the enemy's defeat, and we will see the power of God over the enemy. We will look at the triumphant chapter of Exodus 15 when we get there. We will see how the people of Israel recognized the triumph of God, not their own. Starting in verse 10, when, the, when Pharaoh drew near the people of Israel, <clears throat> when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel, I, I circled these words, lifted up their eyes. They saw. Their eyes saw. What? Behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. We've seen the parallel of the people of God and Israel. Israel, the people of God then, us, the people of God now, and the people of God throughout all of time. They have been released from bondage. From Exodus 14, 1 through 9, we saw the scheme of Pharaoh to overtake them, to return them, and we drew the comparison between Pharaoh and Israel and Satan, our enemy, and us, the people of God. We discussed last week that Satan is a schemer, leading a strong and very real army, leading a very strong force of evil and wickedness, and he is coming after the people of God. Though a schemer and though leading a strong force, it is a limited force. God being in control of all things that happen and having control over Satan and that force. You understand there's not a war happening where who's going to win? The victory's already happened. Satan is currently a defeated enemy. We talked about Pharaoh being defeated through the ten plagues, but now he's still trying to go after the people of Israel, which is more of, a, of an assault on God than it even is on the people. But the people are the object of Pharaoh's assault on God. Pharaoh pursuing Israel. Israel wandering, vulnerable. Remember we discussed that being able to be hurt. Able to have harm caused to you. Vulnerable. We are vulnerable through temptation and sin. How am, I, how am I vulnerable, Pastor? You're vulnerable through temptation. Every person in the room, redeemed and unredeemed, we all know what it is to be tempted. Lost people out in the world are tempted by sin, and they know in their morality, right and wrong, we, the people of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, through a regenerate spirit, know right and wrong because of God's word. Temptation is happening to everyone. They, not knowing any better, us, knowing better, but not holding on to Christ and saying no to temptation when it comes our way. We talked about the people of Israel being weak, vulnerable and weak. What is weak? Simply not strong enough. How many of you would raise your hand? You don't have to, but raise your hand and say, oh, pastor, I've been weak in the face of temptation. Temptation comes my way and I'm simply not strong enough. I do not want to give in, but I am simply not strong enough to stand against temptation, this temptation in my life, that's a product of the fall of Adam in the garden. When sin came to man, we, humanity, became vulnerable and weak. And in this life, those secure for eternity through faith in Jesus Christ, if you're here this morning and you have a profession of faith saying, Christ is my Lord, I believe he died for me, I believe he rose again, I believe he's coming again, I believe I'll live with him for eternity, those secure for eternity through faith in Jesus Christ, we are still vulnerable and weak in this life. 
than how many of us just know it. Amen? I'm weak and I'm vulnerable. In this condition, weak and vulnerable, our enemy pursues us. At your weakest, at your most vulnerable, Pharaoh says they're wandering in the wilderness and it has shut them in. Get the troops and let's get after them. Now's our opportunity. In this condition, our enemy pursues us. And when we, like Israel, see the enemy coming, we are prone to forget the Lord. They saw the enemy coming and they forget the Lord. I want to be clear through these messages. I want it to be very clear that I am talking about the people of God. Those who have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, you're like, I, I don't have a profession of faith. I don't even know what that means. Then I don't expect you to remember the Lord. Saints, when people don't know the Lord, they can't forget. They can ignore, but they cannot forget that which they have not known. That who has not known them. I'm talking about those who through faith in Jesus Christ believe in Christ for their salvation, born again by the Holy Spirit, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ's new life. There is, again, as we've seen in Exodus, a distinction. The people of God, weak and vulnerable by the fall in this life, are able to forget God. Verse 10. If you like writing notes, this could be a heading for you. When a vulnerable and weak people forget the Lord, they live in fear. That was a mouthful for you shorthanders. When a vulnerable and weak people forget the Lord, they live in fear. Look at verse 10. Israel lifted up their eyes and they feared greatly. Pastor, are you going to ignore, ignore that they cried out to the Lord? Nope. We'll get there in a minute. Israel lifted up their eyes and they feared greatly. This must be understood. Fear, the word fear, maybe you put it in quotes in your notes. Fear, biblically, is a nuanced word. Pastor, what does that mean, nuanced word? It means that it's not simply one thing. There are many aspects to that one word. Fear is a nuanced word word in the Bible, I mean that it is simply not one thing. Fear can be, I'm afraid. The the army of Israel under King Saul was afraid at the Philistine army. The sailors on the boat with Jonah before they threw him over were afraid of the storm. The disciples on the boat before Christ calmed the storm, they were afraid. Fear had grabbed a hold of them. There is fear to be afraid, and all throughout Scripture there is fear reverencing God, worship, respect, awe, wonder. Here we are talking about fear that causes us to be afraid. Things that happen around us and that cause real and legitimate fear. Parents in the room know this best, especially parents of young children. Your children see something that is scary, and that night you go to bed hoping that you don't get woken up by a shriek Because they have been scared of something, and now a real fear is producing that bad dream that's being played upon as they sleep. And they wake up screaming, and you, what's wrong with you? I was dreaming, and it was this, and that's real fear. I don't want to minimize or marginalize real, legitimate 
fear. Biblically, things that cause fear in people as we survey the scriptures, appearing angels terrify everyone they show up to. Apparently, there's something in the appearance of angels that causes us humans to go, ah! And Joshua's ready to, like, fight one. And Jacob did. Apparently, there's something about angels that, that causes fear. When they appear, there's some, something about them, their appearance, that just causes fear. Overwhelming armies all throughout Scripture. Overwhelming armies causing fear among people they are attacking or invading. We see people afraid of the loss of life and limb and possessions, and it's real fear. People are legitimately, with good reason, afraid of things. Look at the Israelites right here in our own context right now. They're afraid. They feared greatly. Did they have a reason to? You betcha. You bet they did. There's the sea. There's the army. We got nowhere to go. We're dead. Real fear. What are those things that cause fear in you? Real fear. Think about some of the legitimate Real causes for fear that we have. Think about it. I don't know about you. I'm a pretty good driver, but none of you are. Every time we get into a car, we're fearful of how bad somebody else may drive. Think about things that cause real legitimate fear in our lives. Personal injury. Attack. I can remember a time in the not-so-distant past when there were just simply random acts of brutal violence breaking out in our land. That's because man has forgotten God. When that happens, we should never be surprised. But there were random acts of brutal violence taking place where mobs of people would gang up and beat near to death innocent people that they just passed by. We began to fear that. Abuse. I already mentioned a child sees something scary, has a bad dream, things that cause real fear. I think that many people in this room, I think, I hope not as much. I think many people, unfortunately many Christians, live afraid of the unknown. Pastor, there's not a whole lot that really scares me except the things out there that I can't see or do anything about. Okay, for the Christian in the room, I want to help you on that score, even though I'm going to continue talking about it. God tells you not to worry about those things, so stop it. You're worrying about something that God has said Don't worry about that. Okay, I can do that. Do that. Let's do that. We'll do that together. We won't worry about those things we can't control because God tells us not to. I think that many people, and unfortunately many people professing Christ, live afraid of unknown future life uncertainties. I remember, I'm 41, I remember when we were terrified, those who were born and old enough to remember, the year 1999, we were terrified of December 31st, 1999, at 11.59 and 59 seconds. I remember being with my family, with other families, terrified of what? What's going to happen when the date changes? And I remember laughing at our stupidity when the same thing that always happens when the date changes happened. Now, whoa, wait, one day it's not going to happen that way. Oh, man, we'll leave that sermon for another day. We were terrified. 
I remember being in my friend's house. There's food piled up everywhere, generators everywhere. Everything's going to blow up and fall apart and fall down. We're all going to die when the date changes. Y2K. Woo, look it up. Those of you who were born too late in life to remember it, you missed out on a real trip. Gosh. Panic-stricken terror. We're laughing about it now. How many of those things have we seen happen? But in the moment, no one's laughing. In the not-so-distant past, we were so afraid to hug our moms and dads. There you go. Ow! Leave that one alone, pastor. No! Terrified! I did not embrace my own mother for months. Are you kidding me? We allowed fear to ruin aspects of our life with people. Fearful, living in fear. Nothing will cause us to live in fear more than forgetting God. For the people of God, nothing, nothing should produce more fear in you than forgetting God. He's not going to allow you to abide forgetting him and living in fear. From a young boy killing a giant because a king and his army were too afraid to a man nearly drowning because he took his eyes off of Christ and worried about a storm around him. Scripture is full of people forgetting the Lord and being struck and gripped by fear. I asked some people this past week, What is something or some things that have caused you to fear and lose focus of God? Maybe you want to write that down and deal with it this week. What is something or some things that have caused you to fear and lose focus of God? Here are some answers from men and women that you go to church with, people who sit in this room with you. Work. The work of my hands what I do for a living, judgment of others, complacency, doubt, thinking I need to be in control, the economy, politics, health. Man, this one, I, oof. Failing to please God through rule following. Can you imagine Man, I relate to that one. You know how many rules I just simply couldn't keep? And the Bible's full of people who can't keep rules, so we're in good company when we can't keep rules. We live in fear. We live in such fear that we're going to break the rule of God that we forget him altogether. Can you imagine? The very thing that should hold us in our relationship with him causes fear in us. Anxiety. Abandonment. And all oh, the distractions of life. I'm distracted by good things that God has given me. I allow them to distract me to the point of being afraid and forgetting the Lord. I'm not condemning fear. I want to be clear on that. I want you to not hear a voice saying, how dare you be afraid? No, 
Look at the Israelites. Look at their situation. They saw something that made them afraid. The real recognition of danger, of calamity, something really pressing on them caused a real fear. I'm not condemning that. Man has been afraid since the moment Adam sinned in the garden. I'm not condemning your fear because Scripture doesn't condemn your fear. Scripture condemns you moving God out of the way and forgetting him in the face of your fear. That's idolatry. Scripture condemns you replacing God with your fear. Man has sinned from the moment, man has feared and been afraid since the moment Adam sinned. I wrote this down from Genesis 3.10. I've shared it with you before and it should always strike us. Adam, in response to God, says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. And man has been fearful ever since. All the way back in Exodus chapter 3, Moses was afraid before God and of Pharaoh. He wasn't condemned, you remember, when we examined Exodus 3? God didn't condemn him for being afraid because God knew his fear. Child of God, he knows your fear. It's not like, oh man, I don't want God to know that I'm afraid of this. He already knows. You're trying to deceive yourself into, I can hide my fear if God doesn't know about it, but you can't. He knows all things. The omniscience of God, the all-knowing nature of God, he knows your fears. Moses was not condemned for his fear, and we examined this point, and I wrote it back down to remind you all again that when Moses was afraid of God, says he hid his face because he was afraid, and of Pharaoh because Pharaoh wanted him dead, what happened? God said to Moses, I will be with you. So now you can write fear and circle it, and then you can draw a circle overlapping it. What do they call that? Concentric circles? I'm not a smart guy. God is with me. And that gray space in the middle can be when I forget that God is with me, I'm going to be fearful. He was comforted. In his fear, Moses was comforted. I will be with you. God knows your fear. Be honest with yourself. Be honest about your fear. And fall at the feet of the Lord God and confess it to him. Lord, I need help. I'm afraid. I am fearful. This produces fear in me. And when it produces fear in me, I am tempted, God, to forget you. Here in Exodus chapter 14, this great host of people. Let's, let's remember who is afraid here. Chapter 12, verse 37. 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Verse 18, chapter 13, equipped for war. They see this army coming. Their backs are against the sea. They've got the ability. They've, they may even have the numerical superiority to defeat an enemy. What do we do? They are afraid because they have so quickly forgotten the Lord, their God. Oh yeah, they cry out to him, don't they? Pastor, don't leave that out there. They call on God like they're afraid, but they call on him. They sure do. And in between, while we examine this, we're going to see that they call on the Lord and Moses responds, which is interesting, And in verse 15, several weeks from now, God says, why do you call to me? Isn't that fascinating? Let's let's read it. So we see it in the text. Look at Pharaoh, Israel, they saw them. They're afraid. Verse 10, the people of Israel cried to the Lord. They said to Moses, 
Graves in Egypt, what have you done for us? Isn't this why we said, leave us alone, been better to die in the wilderness, verse 13, verse 13, and Moses said, fear not, stand firm, salvation of the Lord, Egyptians are going to be gone today, the Lord will fight for you, verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? What did the text just tell us? Moses didn't cry to the Lord, the people of Israel did. Moses has every right and reason to know, we got nothing to fear. I stood on the mountain face to face with God. He said, fear not, I will be with you. We just endured 10 of the most terrible plagues in all of human history where the firstborn of every house of the Egyptians died. We marched out triumphantly. We marched out defiantly. We have no reason to be afraid. And God says, why are you calling to me? And Moses is like, I don't know what their deal is, God. The people were afraid and the people called out to God and God through his servant Moses says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Israel had just been delivered from bondage. How? By the outstretched arm, the power of God, and through great acts of judgment, ten of them. Isn't that crazy? Water to blood. See, I'm not going to remember them all. This is terrible. Water to blood, flies, gnats, darkness, hail. Frogs, keep going because I'm such a good memory guy. Locusts, look at you. Death of the cattle. Boils. What? Darkness, I think I said. Death of the firstborn. Israel watched all of that happen. And they were spared. They watched it all happen. And they were spared. Somebody should probably say, that's crazy. Now, if you, sitting here today, profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are claiming that by his outstretched arm, his power, and through great acts of deliverance, God has delivered you from bondage just like Israel. If you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you sit with Israel watching the work of God in your life for your good and his glory. And if you live trapped or prone to be directed by fear after having been redeemed by the blood of Christ, your profession of faith might sound something like this. God has delivered me from my sin and the wages of death, but he couldn't do anything about my fear. What do we do? Maybe it's not fear for you. Maybe it's something else that has you trapped. Maybe it's something else that directs and diverts your attention away from God. We're going to look at being fearful, we're going to look at lamenting what? The old life. We're going to look at being thankless of what? God's work in your life. We're going to look at despairing over what? Not knowing if God will show up when I need him. Today we're looking at fear. If you are trapped by fear, this is why I said think about these things. What, what thing or things causes me to be fearful and forget 
the Lord, throws my focus off, throws my attention off of God, and I am gripped by fear. What are those things? If that's you, there's hope. The people of God are to live focused, not fearful. Verse 13, and Moses said to the people, fear not. Like, it doesn't get any simpler. It doesn't get any more simpler than those two words. We can expound on those two words and say, do not be afraid. But the point is precisely the same. Fear not. Do not be afraid. A vulnerable and weak people must remember the Lord. They must live focused on Christ so as to not live fearful and forget the Lord. Notice, Moses responds. I already pointed out. The people cry. Moses responds. The Lord says, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. His priority here is his people remembering him. Not focusing on the fear that they are gripped by. They fear greatly, but focusing on him in the moment. Fear not is the call of God to his people throughout all time. Every person in this room, self-included, has been afraid at some point in time, legitimately, for real reasons. I remember, (laughs) well... I remember when my son was born, and I remember when the twins were born, and everything in between was just kind of a blur as far as childbirth was concerned. I was gripped by fear when my son was born. He was supposed to be a natural birth, and all of a sudden he wasn't, and all of a sudden the doctor said C-section, and it's the 4th of July, and they're wheeling my wife on a hospital bed down a hallway, and we're running under the lights, and there's fireworks going off. I thought we were in the middle of a war zone, and the doctor's like, we're going to open your wife up and take your son out, and I was afraid. I was terrified. Why? Because I don't know if they're going to come out of it. Are they going to make it? I don't know. What's going to happen? God preserved the life of my wife and my son through that. Then the twins, many of you walked with and lived with us, gripped in fear. Gripped by fear. Lord, help me. Trying to focus on God every step of the way, but gripped by fear. Listen, for all of our conspiracy thoughts and theories about COVID-19, every person in this room has spent their time being gripped by fear of everything that was going on. You all have something. Every one of us has something in this room that we are potentially gripped by in fear. But the people of God are to live focused in light of that fear. Kind of like when God says, be angry and sin not. It's kind of like that, but I don't want to dare make up my own scripture and say, be afraid and sin not. But the principles found all throughout scripture. What are you prone to? What's my sin? My sin is in my fear. I'm prone to forget the Lord my God and abandon him as if he's not able to conquer my fear. Fear not the call of God to his people. Through his servant Moses, fear not. What do we do? I wrote down three thoughts for you. Maybe you're here today and fear grips you. Fear is something you deal with. Anxiety, abandonment, personal injury, abuse, fear of the unknown. You just, you see it and you're so tempted to look away from the Lord when all you should do is look to him while it goes on around you. But you're so tempted to take your eyes off and like Peter in an instant you're drowning and you're calling out for help because you took your eyes off Christ. What do we do? The people of God are to see danger and calamity, the real recognition of fear, We are to see our fear in light of these three things. The command of God, the work of Christ, and an eternal perspective. 
What are you afraid of? Pinpoint your fear. What is it? Now take that fear and arrest it. I'm going to give you an actual verse for that. Arrest your fear to the command of God, the work of Christ, and an eternal perspective. Fear not the call of God to his people throughout Scripture. God's people are not to live lives that are marked by fear. We are not to be afraid because our God and Father, the Lord on high, who with outstretched arm delivered us, says, fear not. Fear not. Isaiah, I believe the 41st chapter, one of my favorite quotes, fear not, I am with you. It's a song we sing. We sang it last Sunday. Fear not, I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed. I am your God, your defender and strength. Oh, man. We'll experience things that are reasons for real fear. We will recognize real danger, and we will take wise precaution. Again, I'm not minimalizing or marginalizing your fear, but in light of the command of God, the people of God should never live in fear. Y2K, December 31st, 1999, for me and my family and the families we were with should have been drastically different than it was. We should have embraced, if it all ends right here, come Lord Jesus. But you know what? We weren't obeying God's command to not worry about tomorrow. Oh, man. Man, the Bible is so helpful to our life. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 God has not given us a spirit of fear. You had fear. Fear was natural. Fear is a product of the fall. It's something that bleeds into all of us, but God has not given us that. He removes it with a spirit of confidence in himself, replaces it with confidence in who he is. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says that we are to live free from the love of money. How many of us are gripped by fear when we see the bank account going down and paydays too far away? What am I going to do? What can I sell? I got to do something. I don't know what's going to happen. We start to become controlled by what will I do? Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, be free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. If you lose everything you have, if you lose all of your possessions, If you lose relationships, if you literally lose family, God says, I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God, your defender and strength. Hebrews 13, 6 goes on to say, so we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. I will not. God says, fear not. And the believer in God, the follower of God says, I will not fear. I will change my perspective. God says, do not fear. I will not. And when I do, I have recourse and action to take. Oh, the lessons our persecuted brothers and sisters could teach us from around the world. Well, pastor, what about them? They're afraid. They're so afraid they gather in basements and stuff. Yeah, rewind that and say it again slower. They're so afraid they gather. They're so afraid they do precisely what they are afraid of. You kidding me? Oh, we could learn a lot from our persecuted brothers and sisters. We see our calamity. We see our fear. We see danger, potentially real danger. We see in light of the command of God. We see it in light of the work of Christ. Christ tells his people, John 16, in this world you will have different versions. Trial, that's not fun. Tribulation, You're going to have calamity. You're going to have danger. 
What does he follow it up with? But fear not, I have overcome the world. The work of Christ. Christ has overcome the world. Jesus said he fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that the Messiah would set at liberty those oppressed, Luke 4.18, those oppressed by fear. There are people I know in this room that are gripped by fear right now. And Christ says, I've come to set at liberty those that are oppressed. Oppressed from what? Well, fear is not my sin. No, but fear is a product of sin. And Christ came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. 1 John 4.18, we heard it a little while ago, tells us that perfect love casts out fear. Casts it out. Fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with judgment. And perfect love, which only comes from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, moves that out of us. I will not be afraid because God has removed fear of punishment, fear of judgment, fear of what may happen to me in this life. Listen, we are here today because saints for centuries have spilled their blood to tell the message of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, every single one of us. And do you know why? Because they were not afraid to give their lives. Hebrews even says, chapter 12, down, neighborhood, what, four, five, six, you have not given unto the shedding of your own blood, but we are here today because some people did. And I'm not talking about that American dream of the military and our freedom and all that. I'm talking about saints who stood up and said, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, dead, alive, ascended to heaven, returning again, trust him through faith, and be saved from the weight of your sin. And they spilled their blood for that testimony. And and here we are, because they were not afraid, because perfect love drives out fear. For those in Christ, Romans 8, 2 says that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. I love it when the Holy Spirit reminds me of things I didn't even write down in my notes. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We're not to be afraid. But we are, aren't we? I don't want to share Christ. I'm too afraid. What? Just grabs you right there. It causes you to turn your eyes off of Christ. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him, unafraid, unashamed. What do I do? 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul tells you to take your fear captive to the obedience of Christ. How do I do that? Like this. You see Pharaoh and the army coming at you and your back's against the sea. What do I do? You say, I'm going to trust Jesus in this regardless of what happens to me because he said don't worry about tomorrow. He said don't worry about my life. He said don't worry about my things. He said to trust him because he's overcome the world. And so I'm going to take this thought of that fear that's real, I'm going to arrest it. I'm going to put chains on my fear instead of letting my fear put chains on me. And then once my fear is bound in chains of faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to lead that dirty schemer to the foot of the cross and be delivered. Somebody say amen. Amen. 
command of God, fear not, the work of Christ, and finally an eternal perspective. Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Everybody write that down. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Christ says, you want to be afraid? Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in the flame of hell. The follower in Christ doesn't have that fear. Deliverance through faith in Christ, we're set free from that. The Apostle Paul himself, numerous times in dangerous, life-threatening, legitimate, fearful situations, yet he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 8, 9, and 11, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always being given over to death. In my daily Bible reading, I just read about him being stoned and beaten for the testimony of Christ. Real fear. Don't you, ta- don't you give us that message here. Why? Because I'm going to chuck this stone at your head if you do. Well, that's a reason to be afraid. That's a legitimate reason to be afraid. And what does he do? I got to proclaim Christ. Disciples arrested, thrown in jail. We told you not to testify about this. We have to. You figure out what's good for you to do, but we've got to testify to our Lord and Savior because we are now living with an eternal perspective. Paul knew his eternal hope outweighed his earthly reality. What are you afraid of? What thing, what things cause you to forget the Lord and be fearful? What are they? Through faith in Christ, your eternal hope outweighs your temporal reality. Whatever is happening here, you're not going to be worried about a thousand years from now through faith in Jesus Christ. You'll be around him saying, I don't know why I ever feared, why I didn't just trust you with everything. Perhaps one of my favorite passages about this eternal perspective. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about those giants of our faith who by faith in the promise of God, them the promise of God, us the realized promise of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, they were seeking a homeland, verse 14 of Hebrews 11 says. Verse 16 says they desired a country, a better country, a heavenly one. Their mindset was not here on this. This is just where God has us right now. Through faith in Christ, wrestle down the reality of this, Christian. Through faith in Christ, this is temporal. We're not staying here. We're going there that we may be with him. God's promise. You better wrestle that down. If you can't square in your life that this isn't all there is and it's going to be over and there's an eternity, there's a massive fault in your foundation of faith in your life. It's ending. It's deteriorating. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, after listing all of those heroes of faith, those giants that we stand on and bring us here today since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, fear, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus. I'm afraid, what do I do? Arrest the fear and look to Christ. And you may have to arrest your fear on a daily basis. 
Some people will be prone to bouts of fear, to bouts of anxiety, to bouts of thoughts of the worst things that possibly could happen. And every single day of your life, for the rest of this life, you may have to take those things, wrap them in chains, and surrender them to Jesus. And that is the prescription that God gives his people to not stand on the shore of the Red Sea with their backs against it, seeing the enemy coming and say, what are we going to do? Wait till we get into all these questions and you start thinking about them being in that position and the questions they asked while they were there. As we consider Israel standing there, seeing the enemy, vulnerable and weak, afraid legitimately, as we see Moses leading them to remember the Lord, to fear not, it's right for us to ask ourselves, am I captive to fear? Romans just told us, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Am I captive to fear? Or is my fear captive to the Lord Jesus Christ? Those are two drastically different ways to live. You can live captivated by your fear, or you can live with your fear captive by the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear the cry of God to his people through the servant king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Fear not. Focus on me. Lord, I pray that you would give great strength to those in this room who are dealing with with fear. Father, I pray that you would strengthen them to the point that they would not lose their focus on you, that they would not forget you. Oh God, strengthen us to remember you in moments when we are afraid, in moments when we are weak. But Father, help us to see and to remember your work that we may gain strength. Father, help us to not be as the Israelites who watched with their eyes the great works with which you used to deliver them and so quickly forget and abandon the thought of you our God, sovereign and powerful over all things. God, I pray for those who may be in a great battle right now. Perhaps fear is not what has them gripped, but something has caused them to not focus on Christ and they are looking elsewhere. I pray, Father, strengthen them. Help them to focus their eyes on you. God, for those in the room who may not have faith, who perhaps all of these words have meant nothing, oh God, I pray that you would save them. Father, I pray that our, our singing praying, the preaching, our fellowship. Father, I pray that it has been a faithful witness and testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that today someone's sin may be surrendered to you and their soul may be delivered through faith in Jesus Christ that they may know your grace, God, and live for you. Father, strengthen us to live for you as we go. Be with our witness, our testimony in this town and beyond. Father, you are good. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.